Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. In this podcast, we discuss how data is creating our future. Specifically, we cover applications of analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. We discuss career tips for data scientists on how to lead and create value from data. And also, what are the current and future challenges in data science? In this podcast, we interview current leaders in the data space, such as heads of and directors of data science and data engineering, chief data scientists and chief data officers to find out straight from them what were the lessons they've learned in their careers which have helped them get to where they are today. My name is Felipe Flores and I have over 15 years experience in the data space where I've worked on everything from data warehousing to reporting and business intelligence to machine learning and artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 27. Today, we speak with Dr. Mark Nasila. Mark used to be a statistics lecturer at Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University in South Africa. He then went to work at First National Bank in South Africa. He started as a quantitative analyst very quickly rose to a head of advanced analytics role. And in the last 12, 13 months, he became the chief analytics officer for consumer banking there. So he has an extremely interesting career and he's definitely skyrocketed where he is. During the episode, we speak about creating and driving a data strategy across an organization, how to use analytics to look after customers in better ways, how to find meaning in your work. He tells us about the importance of data governance, how to implement and socialize solutions created by the team for maximum impact, the importance of mentoring and growing your people. And also he finishes with the difference between a head of analytics role and a chief analytical officer, which I thought was quite interesting. Also, I'll ask you to stick around to the end of the episode because Starting today, I'm very excited to announce that we have a couple of sponsors. And right at the end of the episode, I'll tell you more about them. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. And today I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Nasilla. How are you doing? Fine. Thank you, Felipe. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to having this discussion with you today. Me too. Me too. Been looking forward to speaking with you for some time. So thank you so much for, for making the time. Well, thank you to you as well for managing to set this up, especially with our time difference. Yes, right? Yes. Uh, because yes, yes. you're based in, in South Africa. Yes, yes. Very great. So I wanted to ask you at the beginning if you could give us a bit of your background and what's been your professional journey to date. Well, thank you. So uh, briefly, just a bit about my studies. I graduated with a degree in computer science with statistics from uh, a university in the Eastern Cape here called Walter Sisulu University. Then I moved on to Nelson Mandela University to pursue a postgraduate degree in statistics. And uh, the main reason for this is I realized I had a passion for numbers and I needed to study further to be able to align these numbers to solving different problems in the world. 
And uh, my main area of interest was financial type of analytics, like the banking industry, insurance. And um, I pursued an honors degree and then went further to do a master's program. And I was employed to be a lecturer at the Nelson Mandela University in the statistics department and began my PhD there. Then in 2010, I felt I could give more to society, especially to real life problems that required these techniques and solutions from an efficiency perspective or risk management and general problems that society needs us. I decided to join First National Bank as a quantitative analyst. Surprisingly, when I joined the bank, I changed my topic from a derivative topic to financial crime management, specifically focusing on using statistical models to predict uh, transactional fraud on check cards. And I later on completed the studies, but we managed to do a lot of interesting work that is proven to be very valuable, which included uh, one of my main achievements was to develop methods to help the bank correctly classify the risks of money laundering and terrorist financing. And we know very well banks operate under regulation. And the key here was we needed to accurately classify these risks or else we'll end up having big fines. You've had globally a lot of organizations being fined by regulators. And we improved our accuracy of identifying this risk from 5% to about 60%. This was a key achievement because we actually saved so much on operational costs. Every time you've misclassified a customer, you end up spending a lot of money contacting them, sometimes straining the relationships with them, but also from a regulatory perspective, you're not compliant. And we've built on, improved on this on intelligence of these models over time to the extent that we're hitting higher accuracies. And this is one of the biggest achievements. In the area of customer analytics, we've actually done a lot of marketing analytics where we offer products to customers at the right time in line with their needs. The whole idea here is to use a lot of data in the bank to give you a view of who the customer is. If you think about it, you've once in a while received a spam phone call or email of something you did not need in your, in your life and you felt these people are taking you for granted. And those are some of the key achievements I did after joining FNB as a quantitative analyst. And then I was promoted to a head of advanced analytics in the risk management space. In this area, I looked after a, data, a small analytics team, or you could call it a data science team, that helped to drive strategy on how we could use data to create efficiencies, to manage other regulatory risks as well, as well as be proactive in managing risks across the bank. We did a lot of predictive modeling around, you know, other types of fraud, like transactional fraud on our digital platforms to enable the bank to be proactive in contacting customers when we suspect incidents has, have happened onto their accounts. And then about three years ago, my role widened, where now I took on the role of advanced analytics in the bank. And the key part was to now develop predictive models or machine learning models to predict events, forecast events, and collaboratively work with different business units so that they can use these insights from a predictive approach to help them 
create a better strategy. Now, this is not easy because obviously it's a new way of thinking. Normally, business units are used to having their own teams that focus more on insights of what has happened and what has just happened before. But they needed to know more what's going to happen in the future because you're planning for the future. And my key responsibility is to make sure that I use our data available in the bank use the best algorithms to accurately predict all these events. For example, marketing, you need to accurately predict someone needs a specific product. You need to predict someone is going to use a specific channel because you need to find them there because that is the channel they normally use. We've done a lot of work about predicting reasons why customers interact with us. And this is basically around utilizing natural language processing techniques to make predictions around with other events that when customers are going to call us, we need to understand the reasons so that we prepare to assist them. My role moved on a bit about just over a year ago, where now I took on dual responsibilities, almost back to my old responsibility when I'm driving the data strategy in the chief risk office and I'm driving the data strategy for the customer analytics in general with a view of predictive models. So right now, I report to the chief risk officer of the bank, as well as the chief executive officer of the consumer banking space. And my key responsibility is to help create economic value from data through the data science practice, obviously collaboratively with the data management areas, with the different business units, as well as different channels in the bank who also use some of our insights in driving their business unique strategies. So good. So good. So I would like to ask you lots of questions about your background and your journey. But the first one is, how did you fall in love with statistics? What was it early, early on? What was it that about statistics that grabbed you in and that yeah. you felt compelled to study more and learn more? So at first, I was very good with mathematics. Obviously, when you start studying, you do multiple courses and you sit in the statistics classes as well. But now I realize that in statistics, you're actually doing the same mathematics, but you're applying them to real life problems. And I felt, especially at a later stage of my undergraduate studies, I grew so much into creating a correlation between real life problems to numbers. And it started, you know, when you join the first statistics class, you know, the examples of tossing a coin, the probability of a head or a tail, you know, rolling a dice and all those probability theories. And then they grew and grew and you realize that you could actually contribute more to business problems. You could contribute more to society because society needs understanding of how things are going to turn out in the future. Society needs to be proactive. Society needs to understand some problems much better using numbers. I mean, we've actually shown that through some of, I've mentioned some of the projects we did at work and um, some of the projects we've been doing with society to, to make sure that, for example, they can use their resources much better, even at primary school level. That's really great. I really love the fact that your studies and your learning has been driven by your desire to make a difference in the real world. Where does that come from? How did you develop that? I guess, yeah, where does that come from, that need to make yes. a difference in the real world? And what would you like to see? 
I think all of us in this world are walking through a journey and you enjoy the journey in life when you're contributing to society as well as contributing to make the next generation better. It's easy to do it when you're doing it through a discipline you're good at. So I enjoy numbers. I'm using these numbers to change and make a difference. I like the analogy of when you're talented in something, you're, you must be a chief meaning officer. You must mean something to other people with what you're good at. So it's not just for yourself. And this includes solving real-life problems, problems like financial crime, because crime costs society a lot. It costs organization. It depletes resources that should be going to develop different areas, especially in Africa here. Also, empowering the future generations. We've been in a situation where we have been going to universities to give lectures on how the field of analytics is going to be used, especially in the growth of AI and digitization. I've been to almost five universities. I'm doing a roadshow to encourage them and let them know that it's not just a qualification, but it's a capability that is changing the world. And they're going to contribute towards a new future where everything will be digitized, everything will be efficient, things will be done at a very low cost. People will be proactive in predicting diseases. People will be much safer because data will help us manage crime more efficiently, help us keep people more healthy. And uh, we've seen a lot of companies are now using these capabilities to actually make much more of a difference in the society. That's great. What is the background of the students that you're speaking with? So we normally speak to people with a quantitative background. These are mathematics students, statistics, computer science, as well as the sciences, physics and chemistry who are more aligned to the quantitative discipline because the whole data science is an ecosystem of disciplines. And any person with a quantitative background can make a contribution to improving what already exists or to solving a business problem. So we work a lot, for example, the computer science discipline does a lot with neural networks type of applications, image recognition, you know, language translation, to making sure they create efficiencies. The statistics discipline comes in with these predictive models and machine learning capabilities, as well as aligning statistical theory to real life problems. And then the mathematics as well helps to build on statistics, as well as build more theory on solving new complex problems. Definitely, that's great. And what is the content that you walk the students through? What are you covering in the lectures? So some of the few things we speak to them, first of all, is we kind of align to where they are, the theory they're studying, the courses, to make them first comfortable that we are on the same page. Then we move towards the journey of where they are going to be because the data science is about a journey because they need to know what they're getting into. One of my key role models normally says it's like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. You start from, you know, step at a time, walk through the journey, then go through use cases. These are the business problems where benefit will be realized. Make them understand their key contribution in their whole value proposition because it's a broad area. It's a whole problem depend leverages different solutions to be able to function properly. So you've got IT people who are part of, you know, the data science domain, statisticians, and each of them have to contribute something in that ecosystem. 
But while we speak to that, about that, we also need to actually manage how they need to work and approach things mentally. And this is promoting the culture of collaboration, the culture of working with different disciplines, the culture of asking for help when you need help, and the culture of learning to fail, because it's normally in life when you fail, you learn from, you, you, that is an experience to you. Because one of the things we noticed that a lot of us get discouraged because this journey is tough. It's, a, it's an experimental activity. In a few cases, things don't work out. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you need to try something else until you find what works. And those are the key aspects we teach them. So it's more about what they have and fitting them to a culture of using data and these disciplines to solve problems and make a difference. Excellent. Really yeah. great. So these are students that are looking to get into data science professionally. That's great. And tell me how that obviously leads, I guess, into the talent side or how do you hire new data scientists and what are the things that you look for? So this is a very good question. One, we've managed to acknowledge that the data science skill globally is very limited. We actually start working with tertiary institutions to groom talent. And we do that by identifying those who are interested and have a feel of pursuing that as a career. Some of them are willing to do postgraduate studies. So we give them projects from the bank. And they use those projects, you know, to actually as a bridge to get into our environment. But even before we do that, we do have to identify and differentiate people who actually also have the ability and who can be empowered to making sure they explore their ability. So we look at problem solving as a skill, the ability to identify problems that sometimes are not so obvious. Obviously, mathematics and statistics is a foundation because, you know, you want to, those are the core requirements to you venturing in data science. Normally, we try help develop soft skills like communication, because once someone is already technically stout, they can actually learn to communicate, learn to ask the right questions, learn to be patient, learn to collaborate, and learn to also communicate results from findings and projects that are completed. That's one of the ways. The other ways is to actually use people who have not studied these technical disciplines, but have technical ability. Maybe they never got admitted to study statistics, but they've got a very good problem solving. So in this whole data science ecosystem, you don't necessarily need to be a statistician. You can, there are people who are just good at identifying business problems, which is the biggest actually skill you need because you don't have any value if you're not solving a problem. Then we have people who help manage projects. So they don't necessarily have a quantitative background, but they have a business acumen of how to bring people with a quantitative background together in an ecosystem where you can you have to drive an outcome-based data science practice. So we do groom them in different ways based on the background of the person. But I think we've changed from just looking at a qualification, but you need to look at the whole discipline and what you really want to achieve. You don't miss out on talent. So true, especially these days where the talent is scarce and 
there's so much demand for the work, you'd definitely be making the best use of the talent. When you look to hire people, which dimensions do you assess them on in terms of technical and then there's the soft skills and I guess the organizational or project management side? Do you assess people on all three or only some of them? How do you do it when you're interviewing people? Yes, so in the data science space, we interview people for different roles. And depending on the nature of the role, you have to tailor your interviews to suit the person. So people with with a quantitative background, they normally have a qualification. So you know very well they passed the exams, they have a degree. You don't really need to start redoing what was done in the degree. But also you need to, one of the key aspects we test for is the problem solving ability. Because someone might have just passed exams, but someone is not able to apply that knowledge they've acquired at school or at at university. So you almost test, you give them scenarios, test their reasoning, and normally there is no wrong or right answer in those cases. And normally it's safer to do it through a conversation because in a conversation also you understand the personality aspect of someone, you understand how they will manage different situations, you test the ability of the person to work with other people because you could have the smartest mind, but if you can't work with everyone else, you're not going to get productive. So those are the things you test for. And the last one is the person must just be human and because it's life. They must be you know, relatable. They must have fun. They must be able to handle stress and they should be able to communicate and ask for help when the time comes. The other areas is almost create efficiencies. You look at someone's ability to organize themselves. This is important because you need someone who's organized to manage projects, complex projects, projects that have a lot of people around them, bringing different personalities together, coordinating meetings to be part of that ecosystem. What are some examples of the scenarios that you would use to test the problem-solving skills? We have a lot of examples that test someone's ability to identify problems. So if you looked at some of the business problems that are so obvious, that you think the person will know and you would try get their thought process around identifying a solution. So it won't be a mature solution, but they would think in the lines that would lead to a mature solution. So for example, I've normally asked people if I was a CEO of a company, of a bank, and I'm facing a lot of competition with other banks and maybe even new banks that are going to come up with new products, what types of data would you need to help redesign new products? It's about information about products and things like that. And they'll give me their thought process, maybe talk about transaction information to understand customer needs, talk about the debit orders, maybe look at data on how customers have complained before to understand what they are unhappy about the products, things like that. Then you talk about, for example, financial crime, what are aspects of a specific crime do you think we should focus on that would help us be proactive and what will they do better to what they're doing now? And you see these scenarios are real life scenarios because you want them to think about making a change to the problem they're solving and not impressing the technicality because all these statistical techniques have been there for a long time. They've existed. Some will never change, but what we're now going to change is the problems we're facing. So they need to think about their ability to quantify the value in a problem in a technical way. 
Yes, definitely. You're looking for people that are able to think analytically and logically to come up with the right problem to tackle through data and statistics. Yes. That's really good. And how do people react to these problem-solving questions? So they normally get shocked because they normally come to interviews. They expect a lot of technical questions. They expect actually an exam. (laughs) But you realize, I mean, I've looked at their transcript they first. So they did that. The lecturers did a good job. I just need to test the key requirements in now getting into real life because real life is now how you use your ability of what you know to what you don't know. If you think about it, the value of data science comes from what you know to what you don't know, applying in problems you don't know. And that's where the key innovation in this space, that being the ability to work with people, the ability to identify problems or even to innovate existing solutions and improve on them. That is where the value comes from. That's great. And once they come into your team, tell me a bit about how is your team structured at the moment? So my team is a central team in the bank and it works across the bank in these areas. So we've structured responsibilities based on how the business is structured. So remember, we need to align what we're doing to what business wants us to do. And that is the key part to success because you don't want to do a lot of exciting analytics, but business doesn't want it. So I'm a chief analytics officer. I have heads of analytics who report to me. And these heads of analytics are responsible for driving the data strategies of smaller business units in different segments we see. So as an example, our chief risk office has very many segments. It has a regulatory risk segment, operations risk segment, conduct risk segment, financial crime business unit. What happens is each of them are assigned at least one business unit and drive the strategy for that business unit, solve problems for that business unit. And each of them have quantitative analysts reporting into them. So I need to make sure that I work with my key stakeholders to get their bigger strategy and make sure that the problems we're solving are aligning to what the business wants to achieve from an efficiency, revenue generation, customer value management, marketing, all these types of use cases and making sure that we've solved them the way they want. But I must also say that we don't just take numbers and solve problems. We drive end-to-end value proposition, which includes implementation. So for everything we work, we get requirements from the business units. and we get these requirements, we analyze data, interrogate data, at the same time under the data governance frameworks to making sure that we're using the good quality data. We're using data that everyone else is using. We don't want to use this data yet. Other people are not using the same data. The other thing is engage with business continuously and involve them while we design solutions until we implement and give them access to the environment where these things are implemented. So it's, That's it's really good. Really, yeah. But in this operating model, we do have executive committees where, for example, there's a business unit executive committee where we go get feedback on whether we have solved the problem and what is the benefit. Because at the end of the day, you need to measure benefit of everything you're doing and how you measure it is key. Some use cases are so complex, but we've found a way you know, to measure benefits in one way or the other. 
because the organization has invested a lot in data and they need to get value back. So we need to make sure. And business has to help promote that because they are the key stakeholder that quantifies that benefit. That's right. And what's an example where it was difficult to measure the business value, but then you were able to do it? So one of the big ones was when we created the framework for managing regulatory risk from an anti-money laundering and terrorist financing perspective. Obviously, the one half of it was easy to quantify because you, if you're looking at efficiencies, you're now contacting fewer customers and even more accurate customers. Now you're saving on business opportunity because you would have lost good customers because they are being misclassified. The other part that was difficult to quantify is, remember, we are now compliant. We're avoiding regulatory fines. We didn't know what, how much of the fine we were going to save. We didn't know that. The other example is we've now working with the channel interaction areas to developing chatbots. So chatbots are enablers of different use cases, either marketing, helping customers do utility functions like payments or provide them with information. So the chatbot in itself, it's a channel of communication and the value lies with the problem that is being solved through the channel. It becomes difficult to quantify the problem, but the key issue is if you do not align the channel needs to a customer because everyone wants to chat and everyone wants a digital platform, you're going to lose those customers. It becomes a bit complex to quantify the business economic value out of it. But at the end of the day, you realize that if you didn't do it, you would have actually lost so much business opportunity. Yes, that's correct. And in that case, with the chatbot, how would you measure the business opportunity that you would have or could have lost? So if a customer is agnostic of the chatbot as a platform and you don't give it to them, they will go get the same to a competitor. You're likely to lose them. But also there are use cases which you drive through chatbots like credit sales, offering advice of investment, communicating changes to your products because some customers prefer the phone. You lose on all those opportunities. And down the line, you lose loyalty because the customers feel you don't know them. You didn't design products for them. It's part of the customer need or customer-centric requirements in providing customers what they need over time. So, yes. yeah, but now, yes. So then you, you would see it in things like customer churn and yes. sort of lower product uptakes. You'll see complaints increasing this different channel you will see them talk a lot of negative things about you in the social media because what you're providing to them is not suitable for them for what they need that's true when you were telling me about your your team structure i really liked the model that you have where you're mirroring the structure of the business you're mirroring yes. that within your team that's really great and i wanted to ask you do you have any part of your team that is centralized that works on maybe platforms or infrastructure or analysis that can be sent to a, a lot of parts of the bank for use? Yes. So especially on the, we've had to develop the implementation skill. So after you've developed and solved the business problem, normally business wants solutions. And then you realize that we've had to deploy our own skill to work with the IT people to make sure that they're implementing our solutions the way we design them. And what we do is 
once we've developed these solutions, maybe for one business unit, we have to do a roadshow of that solution with other business units so that they can reuse those solutions. Because we've always proved that if one business unit is benefiting from one, that's that solution, others have a bigger chance of even benefiting from a similar solution. So we actually tailor the solution for them and make sure that we help them access the solution, tie it into their strategy. An example will be marketing. So we've developed customer-centric daily marketing models, and the same models are being used by business units through call centers. Some are being used by private bankers. Some are being used by the normal centralized call centers. And we've seen that there have been an increased take-up rates because these models use daily information. So we look at your whole profile on a daily basis and predict this is the best day to offer you this the right product. Mm -hmm. So it's, it actually works very, very well. That product recommendation, is it for financial products or non-financial? So we have a range of products in the bank. From credit, we have insurance products, we have savings and investments products. We have transacting products to help the customer maybe get the right transacting product in line with their needs. But you don't want to offer someone who wants to invest and then you're offering them credit. They will feel disappointed or the other way around. And then you also don't want the savings and investment area to try offer the product because they're trying to grow their product. Yet the, the credit people are also trying to do that. That's why we're running this centrally, to making sure that we drive a customer-centric data strategy. That is excellent. And tell me, yeah. how, what was the process of creating that strategy and putting it together? For a long time, we needed to understand what we want to get from data. There are other, other strategies as well. You could even leverage expert information. But the key part is what does this business want to achieve in the short term and in the long term? Then myself as a subject matter expert, we look at the business strategy and give a realistic assessment of what value will be brought from data, how it will be brought from data, and how it will be quantified. Then put together an operating model of key players in making sure that works. And this involves engaging with business very closely to understanding the deeper insight about the strategy, the business problems or what they want to achieve. And then working with other areas in the bank, especially the data governance areas, the IT people, as well as the program managers to coordinate engagement between business and the data science team. And then down the line, you actually also have to go through governance. Governance, both from a data perspective, from a data science perspective, as well as from a statistical approach perspective to making sure that you've ticked all the boxes because you also don't want to create solutions that will cause harm. It must be tested. Sometimes people get ambitious and cause harm other than value down the line without realizing. And we end up training business how to use our output, what the scores mean, how they should tie it into their strategy, and how they should measure the value themselves. So interesting. And how does your team work with the data governance area? Yes, I guess, how do the two teams work together? Maybe through accountability. When you look at data governance in broad, there's different aspects beyond just protecting information. We normally use an analogy. In the data science space, you 
have to manage data information. That's like putting together a forest, right? Planting trees. On the analytics side, we are like the guys who make furniture from the trees. Now, the IT people are responsible for making sure they get feedback from us so that they can continue planting the right trees, which is required for the right furniture. So they manage the quality of information. They manage to make sure that the information doesn't change from the source system to the warehouse. They make sure there is proper lineage and business understand what every variable means, as well as making sure they protect the information so that the information is not compromised to our systems. And and that is why, especially to govern and reduce the risk of information being compromised, being stolen. Then from our side, we're also accountable for governance. The first part is we need to use statistical techniques very well. We need to apply them correctly. We need to align the correct technique to the correct problem so that we're actually solving the problem. And with that, with that, we also have the analytical governance. And then we also have what's called the data science practice governance. This is the governance of how our use cases affect customers. And you've seen a lot of examples around data governance. So a lot of people think data governance is just about information compromise. It's also about misuse of outcomes. And you've seen a few examples like Cambridge Analytica, where they implemented some use cases very well, but not in line with how customers would have wanted. An example will be, you've seen in America where the lady, they predicted correctly a lady was pregnant and they communicated to the wrong person. That prediction could have been done in a different way. The implementation could have been governed and made sure that the execution is done in a less risky way. So that part is the data science governance. There must be an end-to-end -end governance because any gap can lead to a similar reputation risk, can lead to a loss of confidence in our customers with around the use of their data. That's right. Definitely true. And could you walk us through an example of a project, an end-to-end -end data science project and the steps involved in the data governance as well? Let's talk, for example, we've worked on a project called the Common Reporting Standards. So the Common Reporting Standards it requires us to profile clients who are likely to be evading tax from the government. And this is through various ways. Maybe they channeling money to other countries, or maybe they are making purchases with funds acquired in an illicit way. You know, you can buy jewelry and then travel with it to another country, or maybe they're sending them to you know, tax havens. So what we've done, we got a briefing with business. The first thing about governance is understanding what problem you're solving so that you don't end up doing other things that are likely to cause problems. Defining the problem clearly, defining the regulatory requirements, and also defining what it means to be successful in that project in using data. Then comparing that to what already exists, because we must know what already exists so that we don't redo it, but also that provides a threshold of us improving on what already exists. And then defining resource requirements. So we need data science skills. We need someone from the business unit because they're an SME of the problem. They need to work with us to making sure we're solving the problem the way it is and not just the technique because we are the experts in statistical analysis. And then getting a project management, getting some, uh, we have a business analyst in the team who documents requirements. This is key because you don't want requirements to keep changing every single time you meet. 
So, and everyone must sign off those requirements, business, projects, and the data science team. Then you need timelines and everyone must commit to timelines with respect to how business wants to operate. And then we also have to think of implementation. So IT people must also commit to implementation timelines as well as resources. So that whole ecosystem will set up a data science practice for that business problem end to end. And we have regular meetings and communicate every single progress we've made, obviously, through the business unit themselves, ourselves, as well as the project managers. Once we have a first draft of our solution, we have to take it to the data governance to validate the source system all the inputs that they're valid and they're comfortable that we use them because they're okay with them. Once they give us that approval, we now take the solution to the analytics governance to make sure they they assess the statistical application of theory to the business problem, the interpretation of all these requirements. After this is done, now we have to work with the business unit to come up with a plan of how things will be implemented. And this is where now we look at scenarios and measure how will this solution impact the customer. And it has to be very realistic. We need to put ourselves now in the shoes of the customer. Remember, regulations are are not just rules. They're there to protect the interests of the customer. So we, on one side, we are business. On the other side, we become customers in that solution. And we have a roadmap for how the solution will be implemented. And if things go bad, if a customer is unhappy, how do we deal with it? So for this specific project, when a customer is flagged, you're supposed to request for a source of income because you don't you want them to prove to you that they paid tax. How will you do it? Because it could turn out so badly if you're asking a customer who's actually a good customer. So how you communicate to them, some which channel to use, if it's an email, how should the email be structured and so that the customer understands why you're doing it and not getting into their privacy. And then after all that approval, we go back to business and show them the final numbers. These are the numbers that have been flagged. These are the customer profiles. You need to have resources to contact these customers. And we work with them through the reasons that led to the customers being flooded. Because you don't remember tax evasion is a transacting activity. So we bring that evidence into what they use to drive conversations with the customers. We keep on doing that whole process every year. We have to refresh the models, remember, with new data, look for newer activities that will give us an indication of the presence of this risk. It's a really, really good one. It really highlights how all the different parts work together to provide the best outcome for the customer while delivering something new. That is great. And you've done so well in, in your career. What were the skills that you had to develop in order to go from a quantitative analyst up to a head of advanced analytics? There's a lot of things which actually I had to, first thing I identified a mentor in the bank to help me understand where and how my skills would add value. And this field is like being a pilot. You need to accumulate hours. So he guided me on where you could easily add value because the only way to improve yourself is to show value, business value. So you identify a mentor and it's important that you identify someone who's walked your journey. And who was that person in your case? 
So at that time, he was the chief risk officer. His name is Christoph Nivot because he knows the journey. It's a journey. So remember I said Mount Kilimanjaro to help you walk through it because there are challenges because you're selling an idea to people who don't understand the technical aspects and they can't just believe you. Then I had to work on how to communicate the value I was bringing in without focusing on the technical aspects. Things like making sure business is actually driving the strategy because you don't want to appear like you are taking over a strategy. What you're doing is you are just enabling them to realize the strategy. So whether a data science was there or data science was not there, the strategy will have been there. Then I had to work on managing relationships and making friends to support you through the journey because you can't do it alone. You need people to support you. You need people to spend a lot of time testing the value you're bringing and you need people to stand up for you. Sometimes you don't have enough time to communicate your value. There are people who can communicate that value with, in your, with your absence. Then growing people. The key part is you cannot be a leader if you're not making a difference in people's lives. Everyone knows I'm a good quantitative analyst, but there are many others as well. But this is now movement to a leadership role, is growing people in that domain, making a difference. And whether they are reporting to you or not reporting to you, you need to help them survive and navigate the journey in the data science, especially at an early stage. Build up their confidence, enable them go through the challenges they I went through at that time because I also needed someone to help me. So you need to help the previous generation so that they can go forward. So the people skills and growing of people. So it goes beyond focusing on myself and starts looking at the next generation, helping them grow and mature and create business value. And um, we've done that so well. Um, a couple of people in my team have won innovations in solving some of the key projects. An example will be, I once employed a lady who had low confidence about two years ago. And she used to cry when we used to have meetings. And I told her, I see something special in you. You shouldn't worry. You will not be here if you were not good at what you do. And this year, she's presented at our finals innovations of the data science hackathon on one of the algorithms for identifying application fraud. It's not more about the solution, but it's the difference I made to her between that time and today. The other aspect we mentioned earlier, we now speaking to universities and even high schools to help them understand that they're not just studying, and the, but they're studying and acquiring knowledge that um, will add value to society. We actually even give bursaries to master's programs on projects which we, they work with us on and making sure that we groom them and help them fit into the working environment. I would say working with people, developing people, communication, building relationships, especially with the right people, being patient, knowing that you cannot do everything at once, just taking it a step at a time, step at a time. That is so good. And yes. was there anything that you had to develop or to work on between being heads of, head of advanced analytics and being chief analytical officer? Yes. So one of the things, obviously, was to develop more thought leadership, mm -hmm. to be able to communicate reality. It not when you're ahead of analytics, it's more on a project value based. You go work, play leadership at a project level and drive business, business strategies. 
But this builds on that. You're a thought leader now. You are responsible for the future development of skills for the organization. You are responsible to sell and develop expertise to solve for problems we anticipate in the future. Things like machine learning and AI capabilities. Just last week, we were at the machine learning forum in Stellenbosch here. And when you look at that capability, you realize the organization needs this skill. So you almost contribute towards the strategy of how the organization will turn out even in a hundred years to come. You also now, you're responsible for keeping abreast of new developments in these disciplines we're looking at and advise people, even in areas that are not part of my scope. So I will send mails to my colleagues and tell them, listen, there's this technique that has just come up, try it out and see if it adds value. I would ask different business units, do you have this data set? We feel it might add value. But also the key part is to bridge the gap in the understanding of the value of data. So I have a lot of conversations with stakeholders on where they are in understanding what they're going to get from data. Why are they investing it? What is required for them to be successful? And what they need to do to make sure they drive accountability for the whole ecosystem to drive outcomes. I also manage expectations that they're likely to fail and they shouldn't feel despondent when they fail. It's part of the journey. They need to pick themselves up, but they need to be equipped with the right skills and knowledge on what to do when this happens. That's great. And tell me, what are you most excited about in this field? What excites you the most? The first thing that excites me is now we're making a difference in society. We're solving problems that are making and creating a better environment for the future generation. We're making, I work in the risk space, contributing towards solving financial crime, contributing towards, we using a lot of data, make credit available to a lot of people, we're using a lot of data to understand customers better because the relationship between customers and organizations previously has been um, almost on a needs-based perspective. You need this, what do you want? Let's do this. Now it's being a life partner to people we're engaging with. From outside the organization, we know we're developing capabilities that will be applied to solving even more complex problems, especially around, for example, the health industry, the techniques we use in the bank. We do share with different areas to try and make sure they apply and for different business problems to optimize medical processes as well as diagnosis of diseases. And we're growing towards maturing in collaboration with outside entities so that we can holistically solve problems across the world. But also just growing people. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy the journey, climbing the mountain, and then you reach on top, you realize there's another one and another one and another one. Like the example of the lady I showed you, I feel privileged to have contributed to her growth in her career. Amazing. That is so great. I want to be respectful of your time. I, don't know, I know we only yeah. have a little bit left, but I yes. wanted to ask you first, what do you see as the future challenges in data science? One of the biggest ones that we still have today is the culture of collaboration. It's holding back the progress. So the progress could be much faster than accountability in the data science ecosystem. And this is end-to-end on what you're contributing to the ecosystem. Companies like Google, Facebook, they've matured the accountability. That's why they're delivering so much in short spaces of time. Other organizations need to drive accountability so that you can drive an outcome-based data strategy. 
The other aspect is what is holding back. People are rushing into the hype of data science, AI, machine learning without necessarily knowing what they want from it. So once you start and go on a journey, it becomes even more difficult to go back and start again. And then leveraging cognitive technologies is very important because not all organizations are going to have expertise that you require drive and implement use cases. You need to learn to work with technologies out there that can help you provide services much better. For example, you know, big players like, for example, IBM Watson, Coca-Cola, eBay's are leveraging the TensorFlow technologies developed by Google because they know it will take them long to develop a similar technology to be able to drive their, their strategies. That collaboration is key, but it must be constructive and strategic. That's brilliant. That is great. And I just have one, one last question. And yeah. is what advice would you like to give up-and-coming data scientists and data science leaders out there? I would say the data science field is an exciting field. There is so much opportunities for them to use their skills to make the world a better place. There's so much opportunities for them to change people's lives across the globe, help create efficiencies, drive um, efficiencies in organizations, help manage risk, all range of use cases to making sure the world is a better place. And data analytics as a science can contribute much in making the world a better place. Amazing, great. Thank you so much for making the time and for sharing yeah. all your wisdom and knowledge and insights with us. All right, no, thank you so much for accommodating me. I know there's a time difference and uh, also for structuring the nice interview. It was also enjoyable for me to go through it and uh, communicate some insights and also learn a lot through this conversation. Too kind. Thank you so much for that. It was absolutely brilliant. And yeah. thank you for making the time. We'll talk again soon. I hope thank you, you have a really good day ahead. Thanks. Keep well, Felipe. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Boost your data science career with skills that count. James Cook University's 100% online Master of Data Science is one of Australia's fastest. Study while you work and focus on just one subject at a time. Visit online.jcu.edu.au for more information. As data scientists, we're always looking for ways to gather more data and to understand our customers better. Firebox do just that. With Firebox, you can easily create a quiz for your app, website, or blog. These quizzes are used to generate leads, educate, or engage your customers. Check them out today. That's Firebox with a Y, so F-Y-R-E-B-O-X.com. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.